Located at the southern end of South America and comprising much of Patagonia, a region known for its ruggedly beautiful yet empty expanses, Argentina is a country distant geographically as well as one metaphysically often forgotten. That all changed last year when Javier Millet won election to president and perhaps most notably held a rally wielding a chainsaw promising to slash government bureaucracy and free up the society in an attempt to revitalize the long-struggling economy, plagued for decades by slow growth, chronic inflation, and currency crises. Tonight, we are joined by returning guest Lynn Lockhart, who is family from the Land of Silver, to help us understand more about Argentina's history and colorful new president, as well as the implications for radical reform against incumbent systems more broadly. I'm not a crook. I've earned everything I've got. Military-industrial complex. A new world order. But we are here to destroy the control over the industry of other people. I did not trade arms for hostages. It's been ideal. Buenas noches, señoras y señores. Did I say that right? Buenas noches, sí. Very good. Oh. Encantada, señor. Encantada. Gracias. All right. Senor Hans, Senor Adam. Hope uh, hope people didn't didn't uh, change the channel, but uh, yeah, this is a myth of the 20th century. Um, it'll take me too long to remember how to say it in Spanish, so we'll just get going in the gringo language. Uh, we are with uh, a very special guest tonight, <laughs> Lynn Lockhart, who has joined us, I think, a couple times. Once to do a show on Africa. Uh, and then another one on homeschooling. Did I remember that right? Lynn? Oh yeah, I forgot about the Africa episode. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, my third appearance. Hello. Yeah, welcome. Bienvenido. Um, that anyway, was with a, uh, a co-host of ours who I think died in Mexico getting like a, a liver <laughs> transplant or something like that. Rest in peace. Rest in yeah. peace, real so, Alex so, Nicholson. Sorry, Alex. Yeah, yeah. We. Uh, we, we we have uh, our 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 hearts hearts and minds are are with you, um, yeah. but um, we wanted to talk about the phenomenon uh, that is going on in the southern hemisphere right now, and we thought it would be great to have somebody with a little bit more expertise than us folks, regular folks, to help us understand Argentina. Uh, we actually did a show on the Perones. A little while back, um, I don't remember too much about it to be honest. Um, I do remember that they had kind of a a populist approach to things, but what's going on now is interesting because the is it prime minister, president? First of all, I I, I don't know how I think the it's president. Okay, yeah, I don't know how their their government. I think Cadillo is the uh, the preferred term there. <laughs> Cadillo. <laughs> Mi presidente. 
That sounds right. El Capitan. Sorry, I'll stop insulting our Spanish listeners. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna pretend I know how to speak. Do we have any? I think so. Yeah, I think I think we have a couple. Um, And and you know, I studied a little bit when I was in uh, in school, but uh, uh, most of it is just you know living in America, which is slowly becoming Mexico. I've I've picked up a few words, but. South America is a, a different animal and it's, it's almost like it's, yeah. it's almost whiter than California today because the, the yeah. irony, the irony of a Spanish. It's not, I mean, hold country. on, hold on. It's not almost whiter. Uh, it, it is. It's by a factor of two at least. <laughs> and Texas, apparently that, that also turned uh, Hispanic okay. last Argentina year. Argentina yeah. is, is what? Like 80% white, 80 something percent white. Yeah. Okay. The state of California is barely forty percent white, and probably yeah. less at this. Realistically, it's 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 in the high. Especially 50. as you go younger. Yeah. You know, my kids. Yeah. So Argentina, along with countries like Uruguay, are probably whiter than California, Texas, uh, Arizona, Nevada, and so forth. Yeah. At I this think stage, that's quite likely. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, demographically, Argentina is white, more, quite quite in the majority. Um, as far as I know, and I don't know how much this has changed, like in the last, you know, in the very recent history, but there's virtually very little African genetics in the entire country, just just not there. Um, and I mean, the difference is that it depends on like, well, if this is a really a Nazi podcast you know are italians white are polish white are um there's actually a lot of germans in in argentina as well but one thing that happened um i think to a lot of people is that in the united states when they changed the immigration law and i think it was 1925 all those easterns and southern europeans that were looking for somewhere to go quite a lot of them went to argentina and um and so I think that forms a, a large block of the white Argentine demographic. And Argentina, like many other, if you want to say Western states, has been subject to its own migration pressures. Uh, I think mostly from like Bolivia, <clears throat> maybe Peru, Ecuador, I don't know. Bolivia for sure. So the fraction of like native um populations probably increased, you know, of people who might be like um, mixed, you know, European and native and probably some African backgrounds as well from some of those countries. It, it depends. So would you agree that the average Argentine is culturally much more Italian than Spanish and, and speaks Spanish only a sort of a, a, an, an incidental phenomena. It, they're really sort of culturally Italians, you know, for the for the most part in Argentina. A big, a big part. Yes, I I would say maybe it's fifty fifty. I don't know. I can't I can't say for sure. Like the signature cuisine of Argentina is both. It's both yeah. Spanish and Italian. You have like lots of pasta, gnocchis and homemade pastas is very common but also empanada which is a spanish dish which is actually like more perhaps an arabic dish from the spanish um you know from the occupation in spain um 
and then you also have just like the native meat eating culture because Argentina has great uh, grasslands and so beef became very important in Argentina to the point where like a lot of traditional dishes be they Spanish or Italian will be prepared with beef rather than pork because beef is more uh, abundant and it's preferred by the people so you see that see some of that but yeah it has a, it has huge Italian influence for sure and I think people say that that's that this the way Spanish is spoken in Argentina is partly at least because of Italian influence well my my preliminary research indicated that the majority of the population is is of European descent and I think there's only about 15 percent of what they'd call I don't know what they call it there but what we might call native um, people that were there before European colonization. And I did want to review, if possible, how the country became settled from those immigrants from Europe. I am pretty sure it was a Spanish colony, like most of the uh, countries in South America, with the exception, obviously, of Brazil. But what what drove that that development and then why why was slavery not conducted there brazil notably had slaves and they had a very different demographic mix because of that but what what was the history of the settlement in argentina to your knowledge so then? yeah to my knowledge is not excellent okay but yes spanish um d definitely you know, belonged to pay, to Spain under the the line of demarcation, right? That the that the Pope gave uh, most of South America to Spain and Brazil, um, and that's why, like, uh, there's more Portuguese settlement in Africa and India um, because that was an agreement between Portugal and Spain in that age of of exploration. But Argentina is has also influence um, from even from England more so than you might think. Um, I think England built railroads in Argentina. I think they, um, I don't know what they were after, if it was beef, there's minerals in Argentina. Um, so there was definitely, you know, uh, stuff to do for the colonizing powers. And I, they say like uh, in, in Argentina, the, the favorite beverage is this thing called mate. And it's kind of a. What's yerba mate? Taste. Is that is that the Yer ingredient? Yerba mate. Yeah, yerba yeah, is like the herb. Yerba means herb. Okay. So, it's some plant that grows there, and you buy sacks of it of like this dried out, uh, mashed up leaves and twigs and stuff, and you put it in a little cup, and add sugar and hot water, and supposedly it's called mate because. It was, it's like friendship, like, for, and it's from mate, from English people saying mate. I don't know if that's true or not. Hmm. I've, I've read that. Uh, but there was definitely English presence. Uh, I, I think, and I'm not super clear on this, but I think there were at some point some Africans, uh, some slave trade within Argentina, but there was like some effort to remove them. Mm -hmm. And it it worked. Um, there is a word in Spanish that actually you hear Javier Millet say from time to time. He'll say quilombo. And in Argentina, quilombo is like 
means like a horrible mess like something bad is happening like like you my grandma might have said come into the room and said you know what is this huge mess in here mm-hmm. uh quilombo but actually that i got curious like years you know years ago i thought what is this word this is not a spanish word and i searched it and it's actually like a swahili word or something and it means um what it means like yeah it so <laughs> this is not widely known okay it's my own personal research but yeah so that is a um, a borrowed African word in Argentine Spanish that that's, I know for sure. That's funny. Well, first of all, Swahili <clears throat> is a language spoken, I believe, in Eastern or Southeastern Africa. So it is not a tongue that it's, the slaves would uh, have had. It, it okay. might be some some very complex. Maybe the British had some kind of interaction. They brought somebody over. But th- that that is my understanding of Swahili. Um, I think they might even speak it in South it's, Africa. Yeah, it's, but, it's not a West African language. Yeah. All right. Well, it was, it was I like don't a know. well, Swahili was like a trade language for a long time. So there were plenty of Persian and, and Arabian traders that would have been very familiar with Swahili, only so they could conduct business in Eastern. And Africa. maybe I might have made up the part about being it being Swahili, but it's it's definitely African. like now that I I, I um. I'm searching. It's like Brazilians use this word also. It's definitely. Um, well, if Brazilians use it. It probably is African. I mean. Yeah, it's, it's no, it's definitely like African, but property. It, it means yeah. like, it means village. It doesn't. It's not a pejorative. <laughs> what I'm trying to say. It's not a pejorative in. Oh, okay. Um, in the or in the original, but in in Argentina, if someone says quilombo, it means like, what is this horrible mess? You know, what am I looking at here? <laughs> <laughs> so maybe, I thought that was funny. Maybe they saw a, a little a, linguistic a, racism. A, a village that didn't look too good, and yeah, that's and, what I'm thinking. They thought like, oh, this is this is this is the word for village, and they, for whatever reason, a Spaniard saw an a Swahili village and was like, oh, you know, wow, right. what a mess. this is a disaster. <laughs> well, well, the Br- Brazilians, I, I'm trying to remember what they're called, but they have these. Um, these slums that are sort of non-permitted favelas favelas thank you that's right and and they surround the major cities typically where there are these like i said they're they're unpermitted construction for housing and the the demographics are probably what you'd expect and they're kind of full of uh you know descendants of slaves and things like that and I don't know if that imagery would be something that you'd see in Argentina, or maybe that's that's what they saw in Brazil, and that's where they came up with the word, and it just migrated over. But um, I don't know. We call it I favela. I don't think but, there's yeah. favelas, so to speak, in Argentina. There's definitely poverty. There's there are probably places that don't look uh, first world, you know. But yeah. but I don't think it's to that level. I think Argentina is really urban. Maybe maybe this is because the bulk of the the um, population came during the 20th century. You know that it was that sort of the Ellis Island. I think I call it like if under American context or U.S. context, it's the Ellis Island people, and um, America turned off that switch, and then part of it just went to Argentina, and so that's oh, urban I see. people. Yeah. And so it's like the Argentine version of Ellis Island people, the ethnic whites. And um, 
they live that it's urban like most people live in buenos aires or cordoba and those are places where you can you know drink water out of the tap and the toilet flushes into the municipal sewer and um you know traditional markers of first world living uh they definitely have hinterlands <clears throat> argentina has a relatively high what the un for whatever that's worth calls a human development index score they, they, they do fine on that the only thing that caught me by surprise and i think one of them is maybe a little more debatable one of them is less debatable but the only the two statistics that really surprised me when i was trying to do some research on this was one the inflation rate which yeah. apparently hit over 100% last year, which is mind-boggling. Because we, we were complaining about, you know, 10% almost, not even, but it was like, you know, 8 9% in the United States, which was surprising because we hadn't seen that for 30, 40 years. But in Argentina, this has been a chronic problem. And so if you have back-to-back triple-digit inflation, all of your wealth disappears. I mean, you, you, your savings become worthless because the prices have gone up Absolutely. so much that it doesn't matter how much you save, you know, you, you've got yeah. one tenth of what you had a couple of years ago. So, um, that was surprising, but the other one, and this is maybe what I'd like to hear your thoughts on Lynn is according to Wikipedia, wherever I saw this, it was 43% of the population lives below the poverty line as of last year. I, I, I was surprised by that. Yeah. So I'll, I'll say something I've, I've said this in public before, like on Twitter or I don't know where I've said it, but it is definitely, um, a real thing to ruin the time preference of a people. And we, we talk, I know you guys know what I'm talking about. Time preference is one of the, you know, important personality traits. And I'm mm-hmm. sure of course that it is herit- heritable. It's, it's genetic. Um, but like many things of human potential, many aspects of human potential, it can be harmed. Um, you know, it's possible to harm people from their potential in different ways. And this uh, economic abuse that has been done to the Argentine people over a century now is, uh, has ruined time preference to, to, to a great extent. And I've seen that with my own two eyes. So that's something I <clears throat> want people to know, you know, people who are into human biodiversity. This is like, just like you can ruin a child through abuse or malnutrition or whatever. Yeah. You, you can ruin time preference. So when it comes to something like inflation, I, I, I can understand how that would be affected. Like your, your time preference effect- effectively becomes very short when there's an inflationary environment because savings is almost um, the opposite of what you should do because yeah, you're punished because if you put your money in the bank, it loses value. And so the best thing to do, and this even goes back and we can talk about this, but this even goes back to the seventies when the United States was having this problem. Milton Friedman said, the only thing you can do as a normal person is spend, spend your money because if you save it, it it becomes worth less. So when it comes to the poverty though, um, yeah. What do you have from your knowledge? Well, my my response to that would be, I believe it, and I believe it for a number of reasons. One is that um, I don't, 
I don't have a way of saying how much, but I would guess that a very large portion of the Argentine economy is not documented. And that has to do with the corruption and so on, you know, and, and, and this, like, you can't put your money in the bank. So what do you do with it? You have to, um, come up with creative ways of either spending it right away or investing it. Uh, and besides that, they are Latinos. They live in, um, larger families than we do. And it's, so I think you can fit more people under the poverty line when you're, when that's normal, when it's normal to live in a, a multi-generational household. Yeah. Um, and that people just have a lot of practice. They have a lot of practice being poor, you know, not in the sense of just like misery, but of, um, surviving through poverty. Okay. So now, and I related to the large families, I did see that the uh, fertility rate in Argentina is 2.3, which is astonishing for a country that is, most people wouldn't consider Argentina poor, although looking at the numbers, you might start thinking that. But I think when you associate low birth rates, you look at countries like Italy and Spain, where a lot of the ancestors of Argentina came from, and you think of those countries and like, okay, they're not having enough kids. Is it that the people in Argentina who are descended from there actually are, or is it this migrant population that you think is, is bumping those numbers up? Oh, it's quite possible that the migrant population is inflating that number. Um, I think Argentina, so what? another topic I wanted to say is like culturally, Argentina is very liberal and always has been, in my opinion. And and it's very similar to how um, we see Latinos here in the United States. Even It's not the same, right? Because we're not talking about mestizos from Mexico. But we're talking about people who are largely Catholic and who are, in theory, socially conservative. Yet, this isn't, <clears throat> this isn't really a conservative culture. And it's been a feminist culture longer you know i think more like genuinely feminist in a way um in the sense that drives birth birth rates down um so i would be surprised if it's that high organically from like the european stock in argentina but maybe it is if it is great um i i would be happy about that that's interesting yeah Um, but i mean to me it's like so in my own family, like without giving a lot of details, I have people who are basically communists and people who are pretty based. Um, and I think I can honestly trace it like from individuals that I know, I could trace it to the Jesuit schooling, the communism. I can trace it to the Catholic Jesuit schooling in Argentina and where you say, look, they're, they're going out into the poorest villages and teaching children how to read. Um, and and it's true. And we can all agree that that's a good thing. But they have been teaching this kind of class-based uh, oppression culture <clears throat> for a very long time in that country. Hmm. And in Millet's speech, he talked about that. And he talked about feminism, too. And he, his comments on feminism are very moderate. Like he talks about how that, that he's <laughs> destroying. Course. Well, he like he doesn't want the um, 
you know, the Ministry of Feminism or whatever. They had like some government ministry. Did, didn't didn't he uh, uh, Abierto or whatever the word he uses to like get rid of that? There's um, that famous clip of him like throwing away the. Afuera. I think he's afuera. 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 That's what he said. That's Throw right. it out. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, I really enjoy his videos. Like I make my kids watch them to try to, you know, help them remember a, a little blood memory from that culture because right. he has like he was in fully in econ, econ professor mode there at the WEF, but he did his little sign-off where he says, Viva la, la libertad, carajo, a little mild swear word there, you know. Um, but he has some interviews where he just is all fired up, and I think it's great. I think it's very funny. Well, uh, Roger Stone called him a brilliant politician because he knows the first rule of politics, which is never to be boring. And a lot of people know who he is because there's that famous clip of him holding a chainsaw at one of these rallies, (laughs) which I got to give it to him. I mean, he he uh, out Trump Trump in terms of like his his, not even rhetoric. It's like sort of just showmanship. Um, So, yes, he's right. I mean, you you got to get people's attention. Number one, it's like sales. It's like, do, do are they even listening to you? You know, and if they're not going to listen, yeah. no matter how good your product is or even your your pitch, it doesn't matter. You know, so you have to get them to listen, and he's done a good well, job of much that. Much like, well, much like Donald Trump, uh, despite being very eccentric and boisterous, he's actually uh, sort of a radical centrist uh, and very mild mannered. I mean, what? What he's prescribing for Argentina isn't insane. It's, uh, you know, maybe we should balance the budget or something like that. You know? Yeah. It's, these these are very normal uh, policy positions to put forward, like saving money is apparently – maybe that's radical yeah. within Argentina. But most normal people look at that and think to themselves, I, I you know, I can get on board with that. Saving money. Wow. Yeah. And well, I think that's why he won the election. Yeah. There's I mean, still well, some normal people left. I mean, th- there was something yeah. very curious about the election, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, uh, Lynn. So he was running against the uh, the economics minister of the uh, the Peronist government uh, under Kirchner. Am I wrong? The guy he was running against was the the econ you're, minister. I think you're correct. I I honestly, yeah, you, I'm gonna okay. go with what you're, okay. whatever so you're the, saying. So the guy, the the econ minister who oversaw, you know, triple digit inflation for years, uh, actually had the stones to run for president. <laughs> if you know that, you know, just for to put that in perspective, <laughs> that'd be like if the secretary of the treasury um, ran for president in the United States. Uh, after about four years of triple-digit inflation, you know, I mean, uh, I, I in their case, I think it's even worse. I think it's if they fought a war against Brazil and they lost right. half of their country, right. yes. and then the general yes. who was in charge of that ran for president. I mean, correct. they've had a yeah. they've had an economic war inflicted on them if, if the numbers are correct. And and I think, to be honest, I think that's it had nothing really to do with the specifics of what Millet was talking about. It's the fact that he's like screw this old system we yeah. need to change i don't think it was like everybody's like, well you know he's right you know if we have a monetarist approach to things i don't think people are that sophisticated <laughs> right, yeah. i yeah. think they're just like it ain't working we need to change and yeah. these old bureaucrats and, and are corrupt and we need to get rid of them right yeah. and i think trump got elected similarly like people were not i think for us it's like close the border right people hear one or two things they can hang on to and then they just think okay yeah let's go for it but yeah he's an economics professor the average voter in argentina 
is not following his lectures, right? No. That's not why they elected him. No, yeah. chainsaw is but more again, interesting. They're both they're both very powerful in the sense that their their policy prescriptions are popular with the majority of people. If you actually look at most of Donald Trump's uh, policy ideas, almost every single one of them, if you look at any polling, normally carries over fifty percent approval ratings. You know, it's not even like the fact that they're his ideas is these are just generally accepted ideas amongst most people. Yeah. Like immigration restriction normally pulls somewhere in the high 60s, to low 70s in the American population in terms of, you know, basically shutting down the border. Um, disapproval of the Iraq war was tremendously high. Um, you know, by the time that Trump was running for president, it had to be in the 80s. You know, most of the public hated the Iraq war. Yeah. So these, you know, these positions were not aren't. I mean, Donald Trump is an extremely mild mannered guy from a political standpoint. And so is uh, Millet. Like he's not yeah. exact. He's not a radical. He hasn't said anything that insane. He's just he does it in the exact same way Trump did, which is brilliant. He, it's funny. It's charismatic. He's kind of a character. And people like that. OK, so he's not going out and, you know, telling you to pick up like a copy of Mein Kampf and, you know, like tattoo your forehead or something like that. He's just, you know, yeah, he's funny with the chainsaw, but he's really just saying, hey, you know, we should balance the budget and maybe cut yeah. off the flow of weird migrants from Bolivia. Like this is not, these aren't really insane positions. Right. Most people agree with them. I, I think that, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Well, I wanted to ask you, Lynn, to, to what Hans is saying. And, and to my ears, everything you said made sense. But I also know enough women in my life who have, and, and they, I, I think it's emotional, to be honest, but because I've, I've asked them, okay, well, why do you not like Trump? Oh, I don't know. He's just such so awful. I mean, you know how these people are, but I'm not a, a girl. And so I can't quite put myself in their shoes exactly. I can only sort of notice there's a pattern. But a lot of women don't think Trump sounds calm and reasonable obviously some people do but yeah. what why is that and then is melee like that because if he's talking about feminism he probably has some opposition from that same group and so what is going on there what, what is it about these types of what people that bother women so much i mean with trump <laughs> i can sort of get it because like you know women are scared of aggressive males, you know, sort of domineering them, I guess. But Melee doesn't seem like he's that same type, but I don't know if it's, if it's too simplistic to like put them in the same group, but do you know what I'm talking about? Like what it, it I do. Yeah. I wish I could answer this question because I, I feel that, um, yeah, I don't know how to say this. I just, I, I don't honestly, um, always understand what, women think sorry it's kind of personal like i don't really i i love women i have a lot of women friends um but i've never asked a girlfriend like what is it that you don't like about trump i, I have a couple girlfriends that do i at least one girlfriend who really liked trump um and and so and she, you know from what i can tell it's just for the same reasons that I like him. I, okay, I can think of one girlfriend who who hates him. Actually, one girlfriend who had like a big meltdown over January sixth. Like I was at her house the day or two after, 
and she was freaking out. And um, she's a person who has a lot of liberal priors. And, and I think that they just take media at face value, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they're told, you know, like when the media gives a narrative, and I mean that in the literal sense, like, let me tell you A, B, and C, they can show you pictures that do not match, you know, like this is a picture of an apple tree, but you're looking at a picture of a lake or something. It, it doesn't, you know, the media is very powerful. Right. And I think women are, women are susceptible more, more so than men. Unfortunately, I don't like saying that. Yeah. I don't like admitting that. Um, I, you know, I like it when we, um, we agree about other groups, but I don't like it. <laughs> well, if I could sort of come to your defense a little bit here, I don't think it's any, any woman's desire to be manipulated, obviously, but I think right. what it might be is women are very socially sensitive for obvious reasons. I mean, yeah. they're not physically as powerful as men. And so they have to kind of be careful about going outside of the consensus. So I think there's an instinct in most women that whether they are conscious of it or not, it's present in most women almost at all times and that they need to be very middle oriented. Yes. And they have to be within the majority of the group. (laughs) And if the media is portraying, because let's face it, people don't, do their own polling of every single person in the country. That's impossible. But what they use is entertainment, the church, historically, yeah. their friend groups, and any cues they have that indicate to them what the consensus is. And today, it's it's a lot of it is the media and entertainment. And they use that to formulate what their position should be. And they don't necessarily examine it on a logical basis. And I don't mean this as an insult. It's just an adaptive evolutionary, I think, outcome of how women are built. They need to be very middle of the road. And so they, they adapt their, their perceptions and their opinions based on what they feel that is. And I think that's why women are like that. And you end up with this sort of, we, you know, women seem to be going with what the media tells them versus men who are, men are, rewarded as opposed to women who are punished men are rewarded oftentimes for being leaders and in order to be a leader you have to go away from the pack thank you for saying that adam i appreciate that right well i think it's just we've evolved this way punished and and it's but it is there is social pressure to it as well and i am you know i have been alienated in many ways in my life and it's just i was born kind of a weirdo and that's okay um and I know how to adapt to that but yeah like I just um I don't share a lot of female psychology um but yeah you as a as a woman for the same behaviors as a man it's true you will be treated differently okay thank you for saying that yeah (laughs) Um, well oftentimes by other women too but it's for um, sure yeah yeah, and and men men kind of by, I guess, I don't know, just biology or whatever. We're more used to getting into arguments. And, and I know women argue, but we do it in a different way. It's more of like, we're going to hash it out, but we we are kind of interested in what the answer is. And I think women, and you can correct me here, but I think my perception is that women 
want to not necessarily be right, but they want to win. And it's it's a social dominance thing that I think is very, very yeah, interesting. They want consensus. You know, they want they want peace and agreement, and they want. I I think you would want agreement with me. Like I want I want a peaceful household or a peaceful village, right, or whatever. Right. And I want it to be in the way that I want it. Um, I can go. I can go with that. Or arguments. I think quite often. The stereotypical argumentativeness of a woman is probably, um, you know, a side effect of other dissatisfaction yeah. in her life. And that's yeah. how she can express herself, that she's unhappy right. or that she's trying to make you unhappy. <laughs> um, but, you know, so is so I guess the question to try to bring this back is. Right. If Trump faces problem with women, does Millet also face problem with women? Well, Trump, among married white women, does really well, does very well, as well as he could possibly hope to do, right? Mm. Um, and I don't know if married women of European extraction in Argentina behave similarly. I would expect probably they do. Um, uh, I, I don't know. But, but his – well, okay, let me say this. He didn't make um, – in his in his WEF speech, he talked about abortion. He's anti-abortion very strongly. He talked about um, feminism as like a Marxist uh, construct, right? And I agree with that. He, I don't think, I didn't, I, I listened only once, but I don't think he mentioned race communism, right? To use a, a Twitter word. Um, and I was a little disappointed in that. And I don't know if that reflects demographic differences in Argentina, because here we have the African-American um, historical population that, you know, has historical claims to oppression or whatever, slavery. So Argentina doesn't really have an analog. So maybe that's why he race communism is not the forefront for him. But I was a little disappointed by that. Hmm. Um <clears throat> Because in, in American politics, race is much more important than gender or sex, right? Um, well, is race even a, a day-to-day issue in Argentina? It, it, or you is know, it... it probably, yeah, it probably isn't. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I think that Bolivian, like recent Bolivian immigrants are probably visibly distinct. You know, like they look mm. different. Um, and they keep to themselves. I'm guessing they don't really. Perhaps I. Okay. I honestly don't know. But but it's uh, just what, not what are they? What are they like? Four foot six on average. I mean, I'm not trying to be insulting, but they, they no, are a shorter, shorter stature people, right? Yeah. Darker than average. They're sort of just generic Indio people. I mean, yeah. they're not. You know, there's a whole stretch of of a, of a phenotype from you know the Yucatan and Mexico all the way to mm-hmm. you know. The, all the way to Bolivia and in Peru, and it's the same phenotype with maybe some minor variations. But it's I, that I, same. I was look. in a. You know the look. You yeah, know the look. I was yeah, in a major yeah, city yeah, once, yeah. and I was walking with uh, a girlfriend at the time, and we uh, we were going up the hill, and there were these people coming up behind us, and they were it was some big Indio folk thing. It turned out to be, but what was the most striking mm-hmm. thing? was that they came up to about our elbows and, and she looked yeah. at me and she was like, well, what the, and I was like, yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't from there, but she was like, uh, she was really surprised. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably similar. So, do you, Lynn, do you think that feminism is a big problem in Argentina? Is there is there a big feminist undercurrent in Argentine culture? And if so, is it a recent phenomenon, like maybe the last 20, 30 years, or is it always been there? I would say that there's probably a little more native feminism mm-hmm. in Argentina, or for some reason. I don't know. Um, I wouldn't be able to put my finger on it, but I would say that just culturally, there's probably less... Um, you know, less of like what, you know, like this neo trad kind of stuff. Like there's no, you know, not a lot of stigma on women working. Um, I don't, I can't say if feminism is a huge problem in itself. I think that feminism is one of the things that drives Western birth rates down. And, you know, I like as a, as a woman, I am a woman. I, I, think it's good for women to have a social role i am not like you know um trad or anti-feminist in the sense that probably some people would rather that i were um but insofar i I do see fem you know as feminism is used in a marxist you know class war kind of a way then I, i reject it for sure right politically i reject it because my interests, you know, I would rather be aligned um, within my race if race is political. Then I would rather support my family and my extended family in that way. And just with the reality of um, of politics, the way they work in America, it is okay. But in Argentina, I don't know. Like, if he's going to get a backlash over being anti-abortion and and the the strange thing is it's very mixed right because american abortion culture is actually among the most um i don't know what to say liberal or like the most pro-abortion in the world right we actually have the most lax abortion laws and we've had abortion legal for longer than most anywhere in the world um, I would I would say and, probably yeah. the only exceptions are the communist countries where the right. the choice the, the the number one choice for birth control was was abortion actually right and that was like forced women's liberation you know if you think about it too because um, when you think about like women in STEM you know you want to talk to some boomer age Russian women or some boomer age Chinese women who. Um, were forced to do it. <laughs> they didn't want to, but they had the aptitude and they were just kind of made to do it. That was the expectation from your family and from your state. And I know lots of women like that. Can, um, can, I, can I pause you on that topic for just a second? Sure. Because when I was um, in university and my brief tenure in corporate America, uh, it was hard for me not to notice that the only women in STEM were basically from former communist countries. Uh, yes. I mean, yeah, there's exceptions, but it was, it was Asians and Slavs and it was like, wow. Um, and I don't dislike smart women at all. I I'm actually quite attracted to them, but the noticeable difference between the HR and marketing dominance of 
American white women versus the technical fields being basically a bunch of Indian and Chinese guys with a few women from Russia and China. I, I just couldn't yeah. help notice this pattern. And uh, I don't know what you think about that, but it was just so interesting to me how different. Well, I think STEM is not, is, is very hard work. And I do have a technical background myself and um, partly just because I'm a hungry immigrant, you know, I think. And if you look in Silicon Valley today, it's the same among men, right? It's less pronounced and you are a STEM American of American stock, but you would probably agree that you were in the minority all along the path. I hated it. College. Uh, uh, it was up, one of my right? first red pill moments, if we're still using that yeah. lingua, but it was basically, it's like, this is not good for America. I, I, I can see no. where this is going. I mean, I, I noticed this yeah. 20 years ago and I'm like, it's you know, we're, we're, we're not going to have the skills to compete. And if we're going to rely upon immigrants to do it, that's not sustainable. And they're, and what's happened is hungry. they've taken over the country, the, the companies. I mean, Google, Microsoft, yeah. all these companies are run by Indians now. And it's like, okay, I, I don't like that, but I also don't blame the immigrants for having ambition and the skills right. and, and applying it, frankly. And it, it bothers me. But it also, it bothers me even more that Americans and American parents weren't encouraging their children to go into these fields. That, that I think is really the long-term problem. And I think it's yeah. maybe starting to change, but um, I think that's where I stand. I, and, and I think that it is a two-way problem because, yes, it's cheaper to bring in immigrants. But on the other hand, it's very hard to make people who aren't hungry do math and engineering and physics and chemistry it's hard to make them do it you have to be a tiger mom believe me i have i'm a homeschool mom it's very hard to make children do homework um it's 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 not natural they want to goof around all day or honestly if you were working on a farm they would probably have more fun feeding pigs and pulling weeds as long as everybody has enough to eat Mm -hmm. right we're not talking about subsistence farming um and i think that's why a lot of like trad americans will go and start a hobby farm because it's more fun It's more fun than working in a cube um, right. on very, very technical problems. Well, but I'll tell and, you also from living in a place where that's sort of, uh, it's not uncommon. I wouldn't say it's common, but um, people who can pull that off usually have enough money to do it. You have to yes, be able to buy the yes, land and yes. usually they're artisanal. They're funding it. Uh, yeah. yeah they're, they're artisanal egg sales are usually not covering the bills. And so they've no, got to have no, some supplementary form of income. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's usually bordering on a hobby. Um, it's barely yeah. profitable. And I think the problem with it is it just doesn't scale to a lot of people. So I I want to dispel anybody's dreams of just because like all these frigging YouTube channels will will show up and they'll be um, usually the pattern is the thumbnail will be the the wife wearing a skimpy outfit. And then the guy with the beard is sort of like in the background (laughs) holding holding a tool. And he's actually the guy doing all the work, but she basically gets all the the thirsty guys usually to to click on on the video. And then their their actual business, it's not actually living on a farm, it's YouTube. And then they get ad revenue from that. So this is not going to scale to the millions of watchers. This is 
basically no. a pyramid of people at the top who are YouTubers who are making, I don't know how much, but obviously enough to sustain their, and a lot of the stuff they, they, they have, by the way, on their YouTube channels are given to them for free by sponsors, yes. by channel sponsors. Yeah. So the whole thing, yeah. it, it's this Ponzi scheme of, of selling right prepper junk to people it's like alex jones you know buy your prepper armageddon stuff but he's been saying this for 20 years and it hasn't happened and so i i look i i've i've pursued all this stuff of just you know out of curiosity and and frankly a little bit of paranoia but i think the reality is probably somewhere in the middle you have to be realistic about earning a living uh and then yeah have have a second home if you can afford it have a place in the country i think that's a good strategy and then, you know, bring your kids up there once in a while and be able to get up there quickly if things really get bad, because who knows what's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, we've seen that's, the cities fall a, apart, but I think that's the way to go. It could, it would be nice if, if uh, everyone could afford that to have a little country home. Yeah. Um, my kids listen to a lot of audiobooks, including all the Little House on the Prairie books, a <laughs> series of books. And I wanted to note, I mean, we're really far afield here, right? But I wanted to note that this whole homesteading idea right her family was homesteading in south dakota and the agreement at that time was that you had to they had to live on the homestead six months out of the year for five years and they also could not survive their homestead without living in town to survive the hard winter a and b to earn money during the the year during the warm part of the year where they could have jobs in town or sell or do whatever they were doing in town, take on borders. Um, so homesteading, you know, even in this sort of semi-historical document, which is was put down by Laura Ingalls Wilder, was not self-sufficient, even in the homesteading era. Okay. Um, I, I just, it's just a myth. I know, like, I've known a couple of people who are into prepping and they died they're dead. The apocalypse Whoa. didn't come, you know, they just died of different medical issues. But, um, I'm kind of anti-prepping now. I, I think it's, it's good to prepare for disaster, prepare for the well, unknown. I, I, th I think, I think you could take it too far. I don't think having yeah. food, water, medical supplies in a closet somewhere is a bad idea. Absolutely. I think no, no, that's, know, that's, that's responsible. That's reasonable, that's responsible. right? But yeah, when you, I'm extremely anti-prepping. I'm I'm sort of an Uber Eats maximalist. <laughs> I don't really prep anything. I think that's the opposite end of the yeah, spectrum. Yeah, I don't but... I don't go I don't go to the store. You know, I just have it kind of deliver oh, when man. I need it. You're going to be in trouble if things really get bad. But uh, okay, and until then, you'll be fine. No, you know I I'm I'm a I'm a based urbanite man. So nice. you know. Biden has got my back. <laughs> Camilla. going to happen to me. Everything's working out. You know, don't worry about me. Okay. So we shouldn't come to your house if there is a if there is a, an event. Well, that's uh, actually that's part of really smart prepper strategy is not to tell right. anybody you're it's a prepper. A, it's a <laughs> smart prepper strategy is, is, is just like, you know, robbing uh, people or something that like your, that. Yeah. Become a bandit. Yeah. Bandit. Right. Um, okay. Walking Look, I want to get back <laughs> to the topic at hand because I want to mention yeah. Naib Bukele and I want to mention Ecuador, whatever's going on in Ecuador. That's a developing situation. Okay. Um, but Bukele is, 
is outstanding. Okay, Adam, you sent somebody. Is that the to... El Salvador guy or uh, El mixed... Salvador? Yeah, you. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody that you guys talked to wanted to know about Argentina, and I was like, you know, I don't know. Honestly, I cannot give good advice about if some if an American wants to move to Argentina, but. Oh, okay. You're talking about one was... of our guests, Tom Kaczynski. Yeah. He was. We were chatting. As far as I, I could tell, very serious about it. You do, you, I don't know you connected he... or. I'm connected. Oh, I did. Yes. Did you connect oh, oh, with, with him? Yes, yes, yes. We okay. chatted a bit, but but I what I told ended up told, and I don't want to. You know, I don't want to talk about him. I don't. I'm not. I don't remember where he landed, and we didn't talk very much. But yeah, you know, yeah so yeah, I'm trying to reveal anything about that. But actually, what I said was look into El Salvador, because okay. El Salvador is much closer by to America, and yeah. it's smaller, and it's I think it's just like more doable in my opinion are, are they the, the the bitcoin or what what was the country that the central american yes. country yeah i don't know where that is right now but yes there's something about bitcoin involved in that mm -hmm. um and i don't i know nothing about crypto but it could be a tremendous scam but it, it's it'll it'll be hysterical you know if uh if it, if it is a scam It'd be great if, you know, like... like well, a what's weird... not a scam is that he put tens of thousands of criminals yeah, in prison. You see, this is, <laughs> well, this is a good lesson. You know, if you just, you know, murder all of your criminals, then that leaves your country open to do cool things, like experiment exactly. with national scams. And it just do experimentation. Well, you can experiment with white-collar crime. Yes, exactly. He's transitioning. He's transitioning. with that, he... Yeah. So, like... And then thank you, because that also brings up a point, right? I, I think we can all agree that Trump made some big mistakes when he was elected by a miracle. T tell, us I, your, tell us your uh, two mistakes that bother you the most. The mistake is simply being a wonderful American person, a person with American sensibilities, a person who trusts the legal process. Okay, okay. Who... Who, when they said, "Well, Trump, were you serious about Hillary when you said she would go should go to jail?" Did you really mean it? He said, "Oh no, that will be too de divisive for the country." Okay, he thought he was playing a baseball game, and I think that hopefully these South American guys know better because okay. um, life is different in South America and it always has been, and. I do think that Millet has made some big moves on day one that he promised. And Bukela has put like something like 50,000 gangbangers in prison. And in Ecuador, so there is that MS 13's home turf? Is that where? Yes. Okay. Yes. That, and, and that's the same group he's going after. Is that well, actually MS 13 is an American phenomena that, yeah. that, that migrated back to El Salvador. Oh really? Yes. It, it was, it was El, yes. It, it was El Salvadorian. Yes, it was El Salvadorian migrants within America that created, El, that created this this network, which then went back to El Salvador, and set up a base of operations outside of American jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. But but it is an American phenomenon at its core. Yeah. It's not it's not a, a homegrown thing, believe it or not. Yeah, I but gotcha. it's Salvadorians. It's yeah, it's still terrible, and they shouldn't it's, be there. But right, know. it's Salvadorians in America that 
you know, so, I mean, it's still Salvadorians, right? And Well, yeah, he, on, on that topic, I hear this a lot, and I'm not saying any of us are saying this, but I just want to be clear in my, in my point of view, and maybe for everyone here, um, there is agency in everyone, okay? And so when we're talking about, you know, the drug problem in America, Americans are definitely at fault in becoming addicted and buying it. But I don't like, it's usually a leftist thing. It's like, well, you know, if, if America would just stop buying cocaine, you know, the cartels wouldn't have any power. It's like, well, yeah, I know. But you, you people on the left are always happy about attacking corporations from selling things. So why don't you attack this equivalent of the corporation in Mexico and say they shouldn't be pushing? You know, yeah, there's a pull. That's not good. But there's also a push. I think both sides, you know, look, let's, yeah. we're all human. We're all, you know, fallible here. So that's, that's what I want to say. Like, I, I think the Salvadorians, nice. um, they're doing good things. And the El Salvadorians who are in the gangs, not doing good things. But it's nice to see that there are good people. And I think there are good people in Mexico who don't like the cartels. And I want to support those people against the cartels, just like in El Salvador. And we need to dif- distinguish between these, these, uh, these camps. And I do think we need to cooperate. And it doesn't mean I want an open border, but I think we need to recognize that the border is open. And this is one of the reasons why we have these problems is because these networks form and they're allowed to basically become powerful because they can operate with impunity. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big problem in Mexico and Mexico is, I don't know, a thousand times the size of El Salvador. I don't know if that's (laughs) accurate, but it's much larger. (laughs) Right. It's much larger. And, um, therefore much harder to govern and they have very deep corruption problems. And so, you know, I don't know that having this, is this a trend? Bukele, uh, Ecuador, there were videos going around of Ecuadorian soldiers um, rounding up the equivalents in Ecuador. They have, you know, gang um, crime, all this stuff, so that they're trying to do some kind of cleanup as well. Argentina definitely has a lot of petty crime. I had a relative die in a robbery on the street. You know, some kid um, knocked her over and she died shortly after. Um, So Argentina has a lot of that kind of petty crime, property crime. I don't think they have murders like what we saw in El Salvador. But I absolutely commend Nayib Bukela, everything he's doing. And just the... The point in, like, America, the the comparison is that we have, you know, constitution respecters here. And I I remember when Obama was elected, and I I was talking to a friend of mine who is a boomer, like the parents of another friend, my friend's parents, who are also my parents, or friends, sorry. Um, Anyway, and I told him, okay, I think it's probably a good time to have a military coup. You were just talking and laughing and he was really aghast that I could say such a thing but I think I was right that was in 2008 and the military was not as uh, compromised as it is now right uh, I feel like that would so, just make the problem worse now if we had a military coup it, exactly exactly. it would be, ter- be terrible it's too I, late for I'd, rather, I'd rather have based Biden just stay in office forever <laughs> and like and Lloyd Austin running the country or, or I mean, 
Blinken. Uh, yeah, like a military. Yeah. It just it sounds awful. It sounds like mm-hmm. a big headache. I, I think that just, I think the ship has sailed on that yes. for America. Yeah, and and I agree with that. I just um, want to illustrate the point that the average conservative, this is a person who probably voted yeah. Republican every election of his life, average conservative American was aghast. And Trump, when they said, do you want us to put Hillary in prison, said no. <laughs> you know, that's that happened. That's a real thing. It, he, they said, do you want us to investigate? Were you serious about that? He said, oh, no, don't want to be. Well, divisive. The okay. liberals and conservatives play by different rules. And that's exactly. part, of, part of the problem. Yes. Um, yes. Liberals. Yes. Uh, well, if they're not. I don't know if they're really liberals, because I, I actually have some respect for the old school like 1960s liberals who are about more about free speech and things like that. But the ones that are in the institutions now, they're, they're almost like communists. And I I think that's more accurate to describe what we're dealing with is that they're, they're aggressive and they're not, um, they're not unwilling. They're, they're willing in other words, to, to break their word, to do what it takes to get what they want. Uh, and I think that's a probably, historically at least, a product of being hungrier. We're talking about, you know, being an yes. immigrant, being hungry, wanting power. The term conservative is applied historically because the people that were in power wanted to conserve that power. So you think of like the stereotypical Republican playing on a country club golf course and he's doing okay materially, so he wants to conserve that. Well, the left is usually not doing well materially, so they want to take it. And a lot of those people, they develop these complex psychologies where it's like, well, I deserve it, you know? And so these people, they have all the power, and so I'm going to use every trick in my book. I'm a guerrilla fighter. Listen to the Tom Morello podcast on Sirius Satellite Radio to find out more. And it's like, that's the irony of it today, where it's like they're in power, but they don't realize or they don't want to admit that they're in power and they want to use that morality of the struggle and all this all this communist rhetoric to get, you know, the the people who actually still don't have that much power to basically go along with them. But the Republicans, they historically had more power, but they've lost a lot of it. And and there's this weird sort of contingency on the left that the super wealthy are more Democrats, it seems now, or at least the, the really ultra, ultra wealthy, maybe not by, by population size, but in terms of the wealth concentration, they're mostly, and especially in the professional services, they're mostly Democrats. Um, I've seen plenty of charts showing the donations from different segments of the population and pretty much all the technical and professional people, uh, donate to the Democrats and the people that donate to the Republicans are like the Marine Corps, the firemen, stuff like that. And they're doing fine, but car dealers, yeah, small businessmen, stuff like that. But it just doesn't the dollar for dollar. It doesn't really match up to the, uh, Eric Schmitz, you know, from former CEO of Google, those types, there's a lot of those. And so there's this kind of thing I'm kind of going on on tangent here, but I'll just finish it. Uh, the, the Democrats today, they it's it's a barbell they have a they have a concentration at the ultra wealthy and then at the lower end and the middle class is sort of becoming more republican but it's not the wealthy anymore but it's historically culturally speaking the republican was like well you know america was great that's how i got here so i'm gonna keep it and they're they're not willing to fight like those the communists um and i think that's part part of the reason they're losing 
and and I in under communism, I would put the early progressives, the billionaires, or I don't know if they were billionaires, millionaires of the last century, who did things like build libraries and fund education, because it's part of the the progressive mindset that we're going to improve things. And the way we improve things is by treating people nice and giving them resources and all this sort of uh, the appealing part of it, of leftism, right? That we're going to take care of people. Well, it's like being, being mom, you know, it's like we're going to give the kid yeah. some, uh, some yeah, help. But, but the outcome is actually disastrous. Well, if you give, you know, if you give the kid too much, it is. Yeah. You need a balance. Right. I mean, it's basically, yeah. it's like if you don't have a dad, which is frankly a lot of parents or a lot of families today, uh, the kid is going to go off the rails because his mom on average, not in call cases, but without a dad, she's going to have to fill in for the dad at times and act masculine, but she's feminine ultimately. And so she's going to, she's going to coddle him a little bit too much because there's no masculine presence in the household. And so he's going to become undisciplined, disrespectful, probably, uh, who knows? So, and statistically you can look at this single parent households don't do too well, uh, with further kids. And it's not to say that if you're in a bad situation, you have to stay in it, but all else being equal, it's better to have two parents. That's really important. Um, but anyway, you were saying. Oh, well, I, Lynn, I, yeah, I, go wanted ahead. To, I wanted to ask you, uh, since we're talking about military coups and, uh, and matriarchy and, and all these other fun subjects, I want to bring it back to Argentina. Uh, Argentina's had a couple military coups. Uh, and none of them have lasted long. They've always kind of receded back in multiple cases to the, the, the Peronists. Uh, do any of your family uh, recall the, the times in which Argentina was run by the military? And, and what was yes. that like? Was it was it noticeably different than when the, the, the Peronistas ran the place? I would say the family members that are willing to talk about it with me would say yes it was better mm. mostly the based family members um i have family members who recall violence like uh violent clashes and curfews that were enforced by the military mm-hmm. and um i mean you know i think like if it was the summer of floyd and we had national guard quelling that violence and those riots and those fires most people would be okay with that but it's the same to me it's the same leftist impulse global communism you know is there some underlying theme probably uh but it's the same right it was there was unrest there was um the parentist government was populist for sure that was like the defining theme of it um, but then also corrupt and, um, kind of a cult of personality, I think, to a large extent as, as, as still Evita Perón is, you know, a, a worldwide personage that is known and, and, uh, favored. So 
it's very hard to draw a parallel or, or how that would affect us. But yeah, it was like, this country is a basket case. It's falling apart and the military is going to step in. Um, but it was not, you know, meant to be a permanent solution. And there was nobody, I guess there was nobody who wanted it, you know, more than Perón yeah. wanted it or some equivalent. So my, my understanding, just again, after doing a preliminary cursory research before we started the show, was the Perón reign. And for, for the record, uh, Evita, uh, I can't remember if that's her real name, but that was how she was known. She only was in the, her office for about a year, but her husband right. was there for uh, a, a few years. And their collective sort of approach to things was, economically speaking, it was a protectionist system uh there's a big thing in south america called uh, import substitution strategy which is essentially if we're running a deficit in manufactured goods with a number of countries what we're going to do is we'll put tariffs on them and essentially try to domestically produce them and that helps your obviously the the companies that are trying to make it domestically but it can lead to higher prices uh, it does usually lead to higher employment, though, and so it's a trade-off that a lot of South American countries uh, pursued. And I actually have uh, some preliminary knowledge of that subject just from my uh, university days of talking to somebody who was actually a researcher in that field, and they said that that strategy didn't work too well. But that was one of the, I think, tenets of the type of government that the Perón government was going for. Uh, they also took a lot of the money from taxes and then redirected it towards social spending. They had a relatively, what would some would call liberal social policy. They maybe it was because of Evita, I don't know, but they they advocated for women's suffrage. Uh, they did fire two thousand university professors, uh, and then. There was actually an effort from the United States, like in a lot of South American countries in the 70s, uh, to try to usurp their power, like in Chile and places like that. So I don't know how all that sort of combined resulted in what's going on today in Argentina, but there just has seemed to be hundreds, like almost 100 years, if not more, of crisis after crisis after crisis in Argentina uh, and I don't know what worked. We should talk about the, the Kirshners also, because they were the sort of previous set of uh, people who were kind of running things. And, and when I say the Kirshners, I also mean their, their sort of coalition of, of politicians, like Hans was saying, the, the opposition political uh, opponent to Millet was a Kirshnerite, I guess. They, they had a more, I think free market approach to things, but I don't think it was to the extent that Miele is advocating for. So that's, I'm trying to string all these sort of pearls together. Yeah. I don't know if you can connect the dots a little bit better, Lynn. No, I, I think that one of the things I've seen is like, nobody has a, a coherent political ideology. And I think that applies to Argentina. Um, I was going to say, you know, those, that whatever feminists inklings that you see there with a, um, under the Perones is part of old-fashioned progressivism. Old-fashioned progressivism is even has a eugenic element right. where they want, you know, they don't want the poor, they don't want a poor woman to have nine children. Right. That used to be 
a leftist. Um, What's well, Planned Parenthood? That's exactly what yes, that is. Yes, Planned Parenthood, Margaret Mead, etc. You know that used to be understood, and and it no longer is. And that how that came to be isn't its own story, right? We have like so-called civil rights um, legislation where a ward of the state is still has the rights to her reproductive capacity and should be supported by the state to have as many children as her body will produce. And, um, you know, we see that to this day. And, and I think that the political structure saw the advantage of that as well. Right. Because those those are your clients. So why would you want to limit the number of them? And so that's where eugenics took a back seat. But I mean, that's the lowest hanging fruit, but yeah. So you'll see advocates of, women's of educating women and i still know a lovely lady who is a leftist right now and she'll say straight up that old-fashioned line well if women go to school they have fewer babies and that's what we want we want women to have fewer babies it's a very outdated talking point now you know um but she still is applying it to like the global poor um but yeah all this long string of political misadventures and the suffering that has brought upon the Argentine people. Like I have, I actually have some, some kitchen utensils that are Argentine stainless steel that probably come from that era, as you say, like when they were uh, trying to protect native yeah. industries. Um, and maybe Malay is more of a global trade kind of guy. Um, at this point, everybody, I think you have to be right. There's, I don't know. Well, he's definitely, I haven't really researched his platforms, but from everything that I gather, he's definitely a free market type. Yes. And a lot of that is necessarily about international markets. It's also, in in many cases, frankly, it's just a more of a local phenomenon where the, right. gov- the government is interfering in things and he would rather just have, like, I have a, actually a couple of examples that, from the recent news that I thought would be pertinent. Uh, one, one of the things on the economic front was that he uh, re- lifted restrictions on construction uh, for housing. Mm. And the yeah. uh, the number of ha- let, let me pull it up before I speak the wrong word here. But um, so we, uh, this is the tweet. Um, consider the source, you know, uh, from Reagan Republican on Twitter. Um, but I saw that tweet. Yeah, yeah, with Millet's decree deregulating the housing market, the supply of rental units in Buenos Aires has doubled, with prices mm-hmm. falling by twenty percent. So, okay, so that's I tried a little bit. To dig into that, and I, I couldn't, you know, I, I didn't verify do a lot it. of research yeah. for this, but I, I wanted to know, like, because it sounds plausible to me. I, I think mm-hmm. it doesn't. You know, I, it sounds plausible, but I don't know for sure. And my, um, all my group chats are very quiet politically. The, the, I think that we just keep the peace because, as I said, there's like commies and base people both in there. Um, well, I don't know so, if they're mostly Americans too. I mean, if you have Argentinians, no. people could talk about this. This well, is not even a political yeah, have, topic. It's, it's more global. of like a a life topic. It's like, okay, can you afford yeah. housing? I mean, left and right. I mean, I've had people. Yeah friends from both groups and everybody wants a place to live. It doesn't matter if you're right. politically aligned or not. It's that's one of those things where it's like, okay, I f- forget who's in the white house. Are, are, is there enough food in the refrigerator? That, that that's, yeah. that's the type of thing you can talk about without any yeah. too much worry, you know? Yeah. The, my group chats are global just to say like, okay. The, 
the group, the families have now um, people all over the place, but uh, but but we don't dig into politics. It's just uh, just better. Got know. it. Um, <clears throat> but anyway. So, so yeah, whether I, that's completely true or not, I think that's the type of policy that Millet is going for yeah. with, without too much doubt in my yeah. mind. I mean, he... We, we yeah. mentioned this very briefly in our last show, but apparently he's named his dogs after uh, libertarian economists yeah. like uh, <laughs> Von Hayek. Or... <laughs> I, I think he really is. Okay, so that, and then this is the other thing too that I have um, sort of like this ongoing thought process that I have that we have like the horrors of the 20th century communists, right? But we have China today, which and and this is obviously a huge topic, but in my opinion, China does great for itself, right? Mm-hmm. They they leveraged uh, American investment brilliantly to bring their own population out of poverty, and so you can say, okay, this is a communist government, but they're corporatists for the average, they're, they're... yeah, the average Chinese person. It does it's great, it's great. In my opinion, I, the Chinese I know, I know, I know many Chinese people. I know, like, um, you know, super anti-communist Chinese people who just hate the CCP. And I know one of those guys. He tells me that um, young people in China today are not are absolutely not anti-communist. Genuinely, they are not anti-communist. Genuinely, they appreciate their government. They recognize that their government has reduced poverty in their country. And well, it's, it's so, indisputable factually. I mean, it's indisputable. I, but so my point is, so my point is that whatever we have, um, if you look, you know, the 20th century was like version 1.0 of all these different things that, resulted in massacres or famines or all kinds of horrors and and even trump is like a 1.0 of a populist um and so you know millet maybe can learn some lessons maybe even libertarians can learn some lessons and say well yeah free markets are good but global migration and global markets um is not so good, right? What was done to the United States, where we removed basically all manufacturing from the country, maybe there is a chance that somewhere some libertarian learned a lesson from that. There's a lot of libertarians who, I think, or or former libertarians who have become a little bit more uh, against free trade when they see the actual costs of free trade trickling back to their everyday lives in the sense that they don't want to drive down the street and see homeless tents everywhere. Right. And they, they don't want to be in a community that is being ravaged by drugs because people lost their jobs. These, or these the are... strategic importance of native industry, the strategic importance of pharmaceuticals, yes. of steel, of yes. manufacturing various sorts that you actually don't really want to rely on this global network for every single thing. Yeah. And, and free markets sort of presuppose that, it's almost kind of like a blank slatist approach to the world where it's like, well, you know, really all the inefficiencies are just a result of markets not existing. And that, that is, that is a 
very religious assumption to make. I think a lot of the inequalities and inefficiencies exist because people are frankly just different. different. And you can't fix that with just getting rid of the government. It's not that easy. Uh, however, right. there, there are problems with government corruption. And if you talk about China, they did not do too well until they recognized that their communist bureaucracy was stifling things. And what they've done is they've picked kind of a middle road and that they've opened up certain parts of their society, but kept other parts very tightly controlled. And when it comes to why China has been so successful, I think they basically have a very high IQ population that is extremely hardworking. And if you allow that to trade on the market, they're going to do pretty well. Now, if you take the, let's just pick randomly from the cluster of United Nations members, okay? If you pick a random member nation and you give them the same government system, it's probably not going to do as well because the population is very different. And in the case of Argentina, I don't know what the culture is like or the people are like even, but the likelihood of them becoming another China to me seems unlikely. People talk about India, for example, as being the next China because, well, you know, it's just about numbers and look at the spreadsheet and, you know, they're, they're coming up and they're growing faster than China. And that's true, but they're coming from a much lower base and Indians are different than Chinese. And so it's not a, a guarantee that the same policies work in every country. That just doesn't exist. Totally, totally. Yeah. I think and, that's and why I it's very confusing know. when we're talking about what policy is correct. It, it's context dependent. It, it really depends on Absolutely. where you are. And what does, what would I hope for, for Argentina? I would like, it's a small country. It's not meant to be a world power. It's not meant to rival the United States in any way. It's meant to slide under the radar. It's meant to have its own, hopefully demographic stability, hopefully reduce migration, um, have some prosperity, have some stability and prosperity and let people live some kind of interesting life. They're not meant to have a space program. They might be able to have a nuclear power plant if someone could go help oh, they, do Oh, they it. already sure. do. They already do. Yeah. Uh, they're the first yeah, that, I, nation in South you know, America to have one. I think that level of technical competence, yes. I think they could contribute to a space program. You know, they could send a couple guys. Um, but it's not meant to, you know, it's not um, interwar Germany by any means. Um, I, I don't know. So I would I would just hope for stability. Yeah, it, it comes down to point. the potential of your people. And the space program is a, a funny example because um, I actually knew I worked with uh, somebody from Brazil, and, and she was uh, sort of embarrassed by it, but she was telling me about um, how the Brazilian government, at the time they had a, actually a military dictatorship uh, for a while, and uh, they, they did some interesting things. Actually, the capital of Brazil is Brasilia, and it's it's an entirely planned city if anybody's into like architecture totally and progressive. stuff. Totally progressive, yeah. Yeah, totally exactly right. Um, and, and it's, it's um, built on a grid, yeah. and, and there's absolutely no... Uh, it's a really it, ugly shithole. I, I think it uh, sucks. I mean, I think, I think it's like <laughs> communism. Basically, it's like everybody lives you in wanna, the same yeah, cube. You know, and it's like... <laughs> I mean, most of most of Brazil is ugly, and she probably just sort of get mustard gassed or something. But 
uh, <laughs> Brasilia in particular is just a terribly laid out and aesthetically displeasing place. It's really awful. If you compare it to the cities in Argentina, which have you know a real character and there's something there, there's some energy there. Uh, yeah, Brasilia j- just looks like something like an alien would develop if you told it to develop a human city. It's just terrible. Well, it's like a it's like having a computer program build your city. Um, there's not yeah. going to be any flair to it. There's no. It's not organic. It's sort of the opposite. It's, it's, it's artificial. It's, and oh my god, it's, it's, it's awful. It's it's anti-human in many ways, but yeah. in any yeah. case, all I wanted to say was she was telling me about how they they tried to steer the national budget towards a space program, and she just was so mm. like these people are idiots. I mean, because she didn't say it in this many words, but I sort of got the sense that, and and she's you know probably at the the higher level of education by the way but so she's thinking of the rest of the population it's like okay this is not a good fit for brazil do they even have hvac units in brazil i don't know know, that's that's sort of the point though it's sort of like putting the cart before the horse like let's get the you know does brazil has i'm not an expert at all either but they do have doctors and dentists and ac of course of course yeah i i I don't know. I, well, the favelas probably I, struggle I with that, I, but I'm, they're I'm doubting certain... this whole <laughs> futurism story and, here. And by the way, we didn't even mention Bolsonaro, who's another like 1.0. I think Bolsonaro, right. it, it just you know, I forgot about him already. Technical chops. He's a total, yeah. he's a total failure. He didn't yeah. do anything. Yeah. Too much of a but he okay, but let, let's be let's be he fair nothing. here. He's like hiding out in the United States. Are yeah, you like Are you a failure <laughs> if you've tried something and then the result of that is we've learned that whatever you try it doesn't work. And so it's sort of like a scientific that approach to things. It doesn't preclude you like, from being a failure. He, he is a failure, but what I am saying yeah. is that I'm right. hoping that Malay and 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 I don't know, I don't have any like huge hopes or optimism, but if Millet can have learned from Bukele, from Trump, Trump from Bolsonaro, you know, he, he has a better chance. And he does seem smart enough to have done so. He should have a, a policy prescription to invade and like wipe out Brazil or something like that. Feel, you know, <laughs> Brazil and, is un. I, it's not. You can't. No, you it's, just get swallowed by the jungle. Um, yeah, it's like the, it's not worth it. It's like, the heart so, of it's like inv- invading, uh, do, doing a land war in Asia. It's like, what? Do you really want this? I mean, I, I, I would. Malaysia should develop like the WMD program that Saddam, you know, was allegedly developing, but for real, and just his national priority should be you attacking know, Brazil. <laughs> Actually, in the south of Brazil is where the like probably somewhat near to the border with Argentina is where there's some Confederate hideouts. Okay. Oh yeah. I wanted to bring this up because you, uh, you, you, you intimated that we may or may not be a national socialist policy. I want to be very clear that we do not espouse any particular ideology on this show. However, we are open-minded to understanding so I just want to be, I, be clear I am a, a liberal. Uh, I'm a big fan of Peter Zihan. I, I don't, yeah. you know, I don't do 
uh, you know, this like weird Nazi stuff. I don't right. know what you guys I'm are talking about. I'm a feminist, so right. <laughs> that makes it impossible to be a Nazi for me. Yeah, yes. we, we yeah. love the NSA. We love Google. We, uh, we're big, anyways, big Apple yeah. iPhone users. Use so, so anyways, uh, but, back to Malay uh, developing like a Scud missile program. No, I, want, I had a question, though. <laughs> Unless you really want to go into that. <laughs> We can wait. What's your question? Uh, okay, so there were a lot of, uh, let's just say, post World War II uh, enthusiasts that were curious if um, if the former Nazi Party migrated to Argentina. What's your Argentina. take on that? I don't have any direct knowledge of that sort of thing. <laughs> I think it's silly. I think I think I think there's probably some people. Well, that, I think I think it's that, indisputable that, that, that went there. But, did. Yeah, right. Yeah. That doesn't mean but, that like it's a power base. Did the whole party up and move? Yeah. I doubt that. Yeah, they went to Antarctica. That's why I understand. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a, a base yeah. under the ice. <laughs> yeah. I do. Speaking again, though, of technical competence, the largest. I think this is still true. The largest power outage ever in history was a couple of years ago in Argentina because they had this huge flood that overwhelmed their hydroelectric plant. Wow. And I was it was something like 50 million people out of power. Well, there's 47 million people in Argentina. Be, yes, because that that plant So they they ex, well. they export the electricity is what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's it and it might be like a a cooperative uh, situation but I believe it was like up to 50 million people out of power at once and they brought it back online I mean I was scared like you know when the power goes out people can go nuts right so you, um, you, you I want to talk about this you're all are kind of like making light of the prepper community but this is why it, the preppers exist and it's not because they they were born thinking <laughs> that their mother and father were going to abandon them necessarily it's just years and years and years of interacting with the US postal service the DMV the cops the fire department the local school system it's like and noticing a pattern is that you know what yeah. uh th this ain't going to save me if you things know, you go bad you know what I really want to see are are Argentine preppers that are extremely <laughs> low time preference. So they're like, yeah, I'll, I'll get around to getting that. Hans, you know the image, but I've seen month. this. There's an image of a guy and I want to say it's in Argentina, but he's got a jean jacket on and he's, he's, he's smoking a cigarette and he's got a really long beard and he's got long hair and he's holding a rifle. You know what I'm talking mm -hmm. about? This is I, the yeah, image yeah. I have of an Argentinian male who's just kind of like grizzled from years and years of, of hyperinflation right. and yeah. power outages. <laughs> uh, yeah, an Argentine, an Argentine prepper who's really lazy about being a prepper and then the apocalypse happens and he right. hasn't prepped at all and he just dies. That, it, that would be, I think that'll be most of Argentina. I, most of yeah. America too, honestly. No, I no, think... We'll, I, be, we'll be okay. I think we'll Argentina okay. is... No, America, no, prepping, I'm not, like, I am all for disaster preparedness, for preparing for a power, extended power outage or extreme weather. Yes, please, everybody should do that. Everybody should have a few gallons of water and food and fuel. What I don't like is when people get carried away and they say, I'm going to move into the sticks, move out to the sticks, and I need to start 
some kind of agriculture business to like ensure how I will restart civilization after the apocalypse. That and I and, what and you should really do is start a cult. And now yes. cults are just fantastic. That's where the money especially, is. Yes. Uh, on, oh, not even just the money. The I mean, the power, the babes, <laughs> all of it. Uh, yeah. You know, cult. I am very much pro cult. I'll probably go start one in this coming year as my second job. I think it's it's a powerful thing for sure. If if you're going to yes. be a prepper, you might as well just start a cult and get ahead of the game. Like you know, don't don't waste your time filling like barrels full of of, of yeah wa- water or whatever. Like uh, you know, they it, put honey in barrels. That's what what will survive the apocalypse. Even 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 dumber. Why are you wasting your time with that? You should be starting a cult and having slaves do that kind of thing for you in the apocalypse. Pro- yeah. Problem is, most people aren't charismatic by definition, so they can't. That's just the grim mm-hmm. reality of it. So I think being a chicken farmer is actually more attainable for some people. Ironically, even though it's not attainable realistically for a lot of people, unfortunately, that can't even get that right. It's hard. I, I've Look, I've done a lot of this stuff. And I can tell you, it takes years and years of practice. And if you didn't grow up in it, it's even harder. And it does take yeah. money and time. Yeah. Time and or money. Or both, if you can afford it. But it's um, it's not something that is going to happen overnight. And that's that to sort of agree, but also sort of disagree with what you're saying. It is not an easy thing, okay, first of all. But if you want it actually to work, you have to actually start meticulously doing it. But you can't have your expectations too far out in front of you because otherwise you're, you're going to be miserable. So, I, I, again, I say, I think for most people... Start small, save your money, make as much as you can in the city, frankly, because that's where you're going to make it. But start, you know, thinking about buying land maybe, and then slowly (laughs) have something that is a backup. I'm not saying it has to be the only thing in your life, but I think that's the only way most people can do it, unless you're rich. That's that's So we're back to, yes, we do recommend prepping <laughs> no I, there's no we here no, it's just we're, uh, we're just don't. sharing ideas I, I people can make I'm their own conclusions Kevin. but yeah you know, i don't think joe biden has your back you don't need to worry about all this <laughs> all right. it, it means you're fine i i had an argentina question if, if we can yeah it back okay and i wanted to bring it up earlier but you know we, we wanted to go to other things so that's cool but um I wanted to ask you lynn have you ever heard of a, a woman called esther vilar she's uh, argentinian uh, German writer, and she wrote a book called The Manipulated Man that became very famous. Uh, it came out in 1971. And I learned about this from a show that um, I've been on a couple times um, and had one of the hosts. Um, it's called uh, MGTOW Chats. So they're, they're sort of very on the feminist topic. But oh. this this particular author, I've read the book. It's It's very good, but that show uh, mentioned it and that's where I, I learned about it. And I haven't heard of it. It's called the manipulated no. man and it was written in the seventies. And so it's sort of a little bit of a time capsule of what was going on back then. But really when I think of feminism, I, I actually do think of the seventies because that's when it was really kind of fresh, you know, it, it, I mean, women's suffrage, maybe you could say, but I think the concept of a feminist to me most resonates mostly with like the seventies. 
Um, just yeah. people like kind of screaming at you, kind of glorious Steinem <laughs> or something like that. Like, you know, burning their bras, like t- being very aggressive. It's like sort of associated with like the whole protest stuff against Vietnam and everything. But in Argentina, this was apparently a thing too. And she got death threats from feminists. Um, big surprise. They're, you know, uh, aggressive people but she basically said that women despite the propaganda are actually quite powerful and the the thesis of her book if i remember correctly was that most men kind of wander through their existence not understanding the power of women and what what she was articulating was that women whether they are super conscious of it or not have an ability to basically get men to do a lot of work for them and through frankly the institution of traditional families they have a man who goes out makes money and their sort of role is to spend it and spend it on the children you know in a constructive sense possibly but in a sort of destructive sense if they're selfish they just spend it on clothes and junk like that but traditionally that was the function of a man and a woman and her book was really about how the psychology of women work and how they sort of use all these sort of like uh, tantrums and stuff to sort of get the men to, to obey them. And feminists in particular got really pissed at her because it's like, well, Hey, you're telling all the secrets. Um, so I was curious what you thought. Apparently you haven't read the book, but I, I, I'd recommend it. It's, it's quite interesting. Yeah. I, I think that what you're, what you're describing works very well. Like this, the quote unquote trad nuclear family, it works great. Lots of people do it, still do it. Um, I, I don't think it's feminist or anti-feminist to say that. I think that, um, you know, choosing a husband very carefully, if that's the life that you want. I have two daughters, so we've talked about this a lot. And if that is, you know, it works well for a reason. How We know many families with different structures where maybe both parents work or maybe the wife is a primary breadwinner and so on. But yeah, I, I think what you say is true that in a, this nuclear family arrangement that at least financially, that's how it works. I think where feminists might um, object is that they'll say that if there is no means, if, if there is simply non-existent the means for women to earn money, then you have situations where there's violence against women, where there's abuse of women. And um, I mean, I can say like, you know, I used to have a career. I don't have a career anymore. If I wanted to have one or if I needed to have one for any reason, it would be hard for me. I could still do it. I could go, I could get my skills back and um, probably find a decent job pretty without too much trouble but that's because I had a career in the first place um so I think that type of feminism where you're saying that women um are are allowed to have some independence some financial independence and some more social roles it's protective of the the women who do not have good husbands who don't get to choose their own husbands or whose husbands die or who, um, you know, for the extreme example, you can look at the Muslim world 
the Muslim world is not a paragon of human development. The Muslim world is not, um, I agree with you, you know, something that you want to copy. Europe has always had more prominence of women. This whole fetishization of like the ultra trad, I I think it's a fantasy. It's just like preppers. It's like people who think like there's going to be this golden, uh, field of, of promise. uh, And they actually don't have the experience to check some of those assumptions. And I'm not, I'm not even saying like the, the goals, cause like, let's, let's be realistic. A lot of achievement and progress is made by having really outlandish goals because that's what inspires people. But what actually results from having a goal is usually less than what was hoped for. But regardless, you still moved things forward. But if the goal is having women in, in uh, beekeeper suits, as Stefan Molyneux likes to say, I, I, I don't share that goal personally, right. but it does raise the question, how do you achieve somewhere in between what we have now and that without actually having a really aggressive policy? And, and that's sort of, we've we've been discussing these ideas of, well, do you want to have a really strict government do you want to have a libertarian government do you want to have a liberal government i mean it's i don't think anyone has a really super obvious clear answer but no no i I think that you're gonna have to put it together as you go like you have to patch it up and like i said with china like there's a world a massive world of difference between mao and xi jinping right they figured it out. They figured out a lot better how to help Chinese people, right? Well, I, I, I would argue China, one of the know? reasons they did that was because they set ideology aside. And I think the problem right. with ideology and one of the benefits of it this is sort of a why it's tricky to get this right. But the reason ideology is a thing is because it inspires crowds. It's an emotional mechanism that gets people to dream and to motivate and to get up in the morning to have the desire to do things. And that's good. However, when you start equating the promises of ideology with reality and you notice there's a big gap there and then you get angry about it, that's where the violence happens. And that's the problem of it because it's not a real rational approach to things. It's basically an emotional appeal to inspire people to get moving. And that's probably good, but there are limits to it. And I think with the Mao era in China, it was a very ideological time, but they killed so many people. And a lot of it was they implemented policies that simply didn't work. And they had a government that didn't have the ability to be criticized. And so there was no accountability for it. And so the Great Leap Forward ended up with 20 million, 30 million Chinese dead because they they were told, well, you can't farm anymore. You have to go smelt steel in your backyard. You have to take all your spoons and put them into a a little furnace. And yeah, yeah, and we're going to, yeah, kill the sparrows, the war against birds. And it was so weird. And then you couldn't couldn't criticize the government. So that just went on and on and on. And then people starved to death and, and other things. And so... That's not good. But what I think happened was, again, people saw the contrast of, okay, the the promise and the reality. And they're like, okay, this is broken. So there was, there was sort of a a low point where people were receptive to change. And then 
what they did was though, because the advantage of the communist system is it does encourage education, it does encourage sort of a systematic approach to things. They recognized the need for a change, but what they, they did was they took that systematic approach and they set ideology aside. The Deng Xiaoping famous quote was, you know, I don't care what color the cat is as long as it catches mice. We're going to look that, at this from a, yeah. a goal-oriented approach. The, the means are less important. So, And I've interacted with graduate-level people from like students from China. And they're extremely pragmatic. And a lot of that is cultural. But the, the impression I got was that they will basically study everything effectively in the West and copy it. And that doesn't take a lot of creativity, but it does take brains and it does take discipline. And they have those. And they set ideology aside and they applied what had been proven to work in, in a way that's never been before been seen on a scale that's never, yeah. never been achieved. And I give them a lot of credit for that. Um, and I think that was just the pragmatic approach to things, but it, it's the problem is where are they going to go from there? Because they don't have another United States to copy. United States is having no, its own problems. And they so, can just chug along doing what they're doing. They have to manage their own. They'll um, be a population. middle income country. For sure. Yeah, that's fine. Um, but that's they fine. call it I mean, a middle income trap is that if you want to go beyond that, you can't just copy other countries. You have to actually come up with your own things. And that that's the long debate about sort of Asian yeah. Asian no, culture. Is they're like they're that's fine. Probably not. Probably not. But you know, they're but but they're managed for the benefit of the average Chinese. I'm Agreed. sure like Agreed. the the party the party bosses have billions of whatever dollars or yen or whatever who cares that's fine the average chinese is still doing worlds better than he was before so if you're like the question was something like well how do you manage women in the context of a democracy well our democracy like here in california we voted a couple times on gay marriage and we voted wrong and then the court said, okay, well, you here, you now have gay marriage. We're not blaming women for that, right? It wasn't liberal women who who did that. Not as voters, not as a voting bloc. Maybe they did it in the universities or somewhere else, but not not in terms of democracy is even still to this day is not really the problem in America. Although I'm not a fan of democracy, but even still to this day, elections do not go according to plan um, without, you know, a lot of pressure, uh, whether it's media pressure or whether it's outright fraud. Still to this day, we don't vote the way they want us to vote, right? Well, the history so, of California is very tragic. I think most people would definitely probably agree with some of that at least and yeah i think the example of um gay marriage is a good one i think it also is very analogous to what happened with immigration frankly it was in the 90s i forget what the yeah. uh, the proposition was but it was during 187 yeah it was like pete wilson was the governor the i mean i i, I don't really count arm schwarzenegger as a republican so i, I consider pete yeah. wilson the last republican governor of california and that was like 1994 I mean, maybe space program california could field its own space program in that era um it effectively know? does actually because it, yeah. it it has um what is it the uh 
Uh, it's by, it's by, yes, by Caltech. Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, the, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, right? Yeah. But it, it effectively is a spacefaring nation <laughs> right. in, in a way. Uh, and Van, that was Vandenberg away. Air Base. But, um, but yeah, it, it, has, it's, it has a hostile elite and it has a sort of coastal elite that has basically told the, uh, the middle, middle group of the state you can't play here anymore. We've taken it over. And yeah. the, the tragedy the of country. The, yes, but you I think know, California is a microcosm run, of my, what has a, happened. Yeah. But it, but like in terms of the future of what governance ideology policy recommendations, all these questions, the, the U S government is not about the U S people. This is obvious to you and your listeners. It's about empire. I remember when, Trump took office, there's a tradition that the outgoing president writes a nice little letter, welcome letter, to the new president. And the text of the Obama letter was made public, and it said, listen, Trump, I hate you, you hate me. If you can keep the American empire on track, we can get through this together. Said that that word for word? No, no. It was not. That wasn't the word for word. It was... That was the subtext. it, It was... I'm paraphrasing. But that was the message. The message was, we disagree on everything, but all you have to do is keep the American empire on track. And Trump didn't want to do that. He said, no, we're going to leave. We're going to pull our guys out of Syria. And then you had American generals saying, oh, yeah, we lied. We just lied about how many, who, what Americans were in Syria. We just told them lies about it. So um, the purpose of America is global hegemony. It is not the governance of the American landmass or the American population. That is an afterthought. And it is, it, it is a, a cardinal rule of empires that the homeland becomes the empire. And you bring the people in. And it's been done right. every time right. by every empire ever. So they can't even help it. They, they don't even know that that's what they're doing. But they have to do it. There's no option. Yeah, it's hard hard to say what, who knows what and what their motivations are. But I think regardless of the individuals, the net effect is what you're describing. Um, to uh, to maybe bring it to a close or to uh, talk about Argentina a bit before we before we close. I'm I'm looking at this this tweet that I just mentioned about Mille and the housing and everything else. And the other thing I, I, I promised to bring up two two things. I'll, I'll just bring it up briefly and I'll get to my main point here. Uh, Argentina, Argentinian waters um, are, well, setting aside the Falkland Island dispute with Britain, there has been sort of a long running issue with fishing off the coast of Argentina. And the Chinese were um, actually overfishing illegally yeah. off the coast of Argentina. And I think some of that might have to do with the fact that Argentina claims part of Antarctica and yes. the Antarctic waters are, are quite rich for whatever reason, probably have, has to do with a lot of things, but it has to do with a Nazi fish farming. <laughs> the, uh, the sort of hovercraft, uh, UFO things they've been building. Um, yeah. The, uh, the the side effect of their, their hover technology is that this stimulates fish reproduction. Um, just obviously, uh, that's obvious, but 
the the fact is that the Chinese are down there and they're taking a bunch of stuff. And so Miele actually, uh, his government is, love, is fighting them yeah. off, which is interesting. Beautiful. But what I was going to say more, I think, to the long-term point about Mile and what he's about is I'm looking at this tweet of the housing market reform, and it's showing a picture of him with, I I don't know what it's called. It's like an Argentinian flag-colored sash. It looks Mm -hmm. kind of like what a military officer would wear. And it's kind of interesting because uh, you think of like uh, South American governments and a lot of them are, they end up in dictatorships. And so you, you see, I'm kind of accustomed to looking at pictures like this where there's a guy wearing kind of a military outfit and he's giving a speech and sort of yelling at people. And then there's a bunch of like guys with helmets on standing behind him. <laughs> but this is sort of like a combination of that with him being like all like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm a nice guy, kind of goofy. But he's got the sash on and he's wandering through the hallways of, I guess, the parliament or the Congress, whatever they call it down there. What I'm getting at is I'm trying to figure out how a guy like this survives. Is there going to be a coup against him? Is there going to be some weird event that he suddenly is found dead? I mean, is there... Does he have a coalition? Because all I no. know about him is he's a popular charismatic media savvy guy who used to be a professor. But if you were to tell me that that like, that's the sort of resume of somebody who's going to take over and totally upend the bureaucracy. I mean, you can say whatever you want about Trump. He certainly was naive about his ability to change Washington. And he certainly was lied to and hoodwinked by the deep state, but he was not a wimpy guy. And he was used to dealing with, construction workers and unions and corrupt New York politicians. He's kind of a a brawler. This guy, I don't know, is he a brawler? And if you take, if you take a guy like that and put him in South America, he probably needs to be more of a brawler than he does in the United States. I could be wrong, but what is his longevity given where he is? What, what are his odds of surviving regardless of his policies? Can he survive? Politically. I am going to just stay optimistic. I don't know. I don't think he's in danger of his life. Trump is still alive. I don't think they assassinate people so much anymore. Um, who is they? I don't know who they is. But we we don't see that for whatever reason. We don't see it as much anymore, right? I think assassination has been off the table culturally or um, covertly. It happened in the the 70s a lot. There were a lot of coups um, in South America. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, part of what makes the United States military the way that it is, is that it's elaborate coup insurance, right? Um, You you have all these weird habits and practices of moving people around Mm. and of managing the generals. And part of that is because you don't, A, you don't want to make it easy for there to be a coup, and B, you don't want a guy who could do a coup to do very well in the military. Does that make sense? A guy who could be an effective dictator and who wants the power. You take him out of power if he gets too You you don't promote those guys. If they're too effective, too charismatic, too threatening, you're done. Your, Your career 
eggs yeah, you go to Antarctica. I mean, histor- historically, you know, it was, it was Patton, it was MacArthur, all of those guys right. were sort of pushed away because they were threats to the, the government. To, Eisenhower, to... who became president. Um, he was very know, savvy, as... though. He, he was not that charismatic. And, and he was right. adept enough to actually navigate that stuff. So what is the status of the Argentine military at this time? I have no idea. But is there a guy who could take control or is there a junta, right? That's what that word means. Right. It means like board of directors um, in a military sense. I don't know. I kind of doubt it. Is he going to get assassinated? I doubt it. Bolsonaro got stabbed on the street, right? He wasn't, that was not um, an effective uh, hit. But the flesh wound. But a mere flesh wound and he survived it. So I tend to think that the era of assassinations is over. Um, Trump is still alive. Like in, on January 6th, it was an open question if Trump was going to, to me, as a South American, a person with South American sensibilities to some extent, it was an open question if he was going to survive that day. And he did. Um, and, and he and he left office and he didn't go into exile. He didn't go, you know, live in Israel or something. So, um yeah, I'm just going to stay optimistic. And and of course, we haven't even talked about the fact that Millet has been photographed wearing small hats and visiting an important country um, elsewhere in the world, right? I'm just going to pretend it's not happening. I'm just going to see what he can do. Well, like, if Trump gets in office again, I will be thrilled. I will think it's hilarious and, and okay. fun and wonderful. You brought up Eisenhower, and I think that's that's... A good example, not necessarily for obvious reasons, perhaps, but I think we're talking about these real outspoken types, the the contrast to Eisenhower, I would say Patton and MacArthur. And if anybody looks into them or listens to them or reads what they they did, they were very critical of the powers that be. Military industrial complex. Look what happened to them. I would say to anybody who criticizes somebody for wearing a small hat for a photo op and going to the whaling wall and say, well, what do they actually do versus what are they doing for the cameras? Because I would say it's better to put on a show and survive and get something done. Totally agreed. Complain and make yourself an obvious threat and then get taken out. Totally agree. I don't understand these people who don't get that. If he can do something nice for Argentina, if he can give Argentina a chance to be a normal country, I don't care what kind of hat he wears. Look, this this, all... if this is politics. You, you basically right. do things to get to the next day, frankly, to survive. And a lot of politicians get criticized for not keeping their word. And I, I, I share a lot of that frustration, but I understand why they do that. Because, look, it's a Machiavellian world. You have to play tricks to play the game. You have to stay in the game. And I mean, if, you, if you show your hand, yeah. you're screwed. It's stupid. Right? You know? Like, some people will say, oh, there he is at WEF in the den of snakes. Yeah, and he, and he clowned them. And it's sort of That's like, right. uh, what's his face? Gervais getting up in front of um, Hollywood for whatever Hollywood. stupid award yeah. show they have, which nobody cares about anymore, thankfully. But, 
he made fun of them. And it's like, That's do you right. think he do you think he told them what he was going to do when they were interviewing him for doing the speech? Sure I don't I don't, I don't think so. It. Yeah, yeah they, but I think he yeah. probably kept his cards a little closer to his vest. So that's my point. It's like yeah. if somebody yeah. goes to Israel and like, you know, kisses the ring proverbially, I don't care. I I just care right. what does he make it? Does he survive? And at the end of the day, the final analysis is is he moving the needle in a positive or negative direction? And if he can move it positively, I'm okay with that. Some people complain and they want more, and that's fine, but show me evidence that pushing the needle, pushing the throttle harder isn't going to blow your engine up because I think that's what a lot of these guys end up doing. It's like they yeah. they they go out front of their skis and they end up crashing into a tree. They they, they don't really see the consequences of their rhetoric and i think you have right. to be smart in this game yeah i'm i totally agree with you i, I can't make predictions but i'm just gonna stay positive yeah uh, so you think he's I, mean, I don't know like he was a professor did he did he have any political office before this or he just like kind of won the election and that was know. it like, no i don't think he did nobody I, really I knew he, who he was until this whole chainsaw he was <laughs> he was somewhat of a public figure like he he is um he was known he's been on tv he's he's kind of a public figure in some way but yeah i think he did kind of come out of left field and he's great. I, I, I like the way he looks. I think I like his goofy hair. I like his I hair. Like his, <laughs> yeah, I like his rhetorical style. I wish I could say... He's a soccer player, more, right, at, at some point also? Prob- yeah, I think he has That's something funny. to do with the big soccer club, too. Like, he made some comment. I, I don't remember, like, that he would appoint somebody to run the soccer club that would help it. Um, He... He is like plays in a band. He is um, a heterosexual male, right? He's like photographed with women, grown up women. Is he um, married? I don't even know what his like. No, I don't think he's married. Is. No, no. Yeah. He has like like Argentine women are sort of known to be beautiful. Like I'm just a normal peasant person. But, yeah, there was. Um, you know, I don't know. If, I think it was like um, ultimately found to be apocryphal or something but it was nonetheless it sort of it was funny because people saw the the truth in it there was a, a meme of like what an american newscaster looks like and then they showed yeah. like an argentinian newscaster and she's like this yeah gorgeous like woman like wearing this yeah. tight outfit and so that that's really, that's really pretty true. ladies yeah and and he has like different girlfriends so i think he's a bachelor but he's had a string of of girlfriends and there's some picture of him like on some t- Spanish some variety show uh getting down with some girls like dancing you know and he, he clearly is in his element okay <laughs> he 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 likes women he likes grown up women okay it's not a given. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, what what would, what would people rather have? It's sort of like a playboy, or do you want to have a pedophile, like who yeah. is closeted or, or in, in what direction? Like what, you, what you really need, what you really need, is a hyper masculine gay, like Pete oh, Buttigieg. Pete, Pete Buttigieg, <laughs> yeah, a bodybuilder. Yeah. <laughs> Guys like Jack Donovan are the movers of history. What you really need are homosexuals that hate women and yeah. aren't distra- and aren't distracted by them, <laughs> and and are able to perform great feats. 
this, right. this is this is critical. I, I, that's and, and that's the that's the irony of the whole this. like the left because yes. they 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 don't like Uncle Adolf, but uh, another contingent of them will accuse him of being a homosexual, and it's like, well, okay, I you clearly don't <laughs> don't trust gays then. So like, right, vegetarian. I mean, yeah, vegetarian. Yeah. yeah. What more do you need to know? Can't trust that guy. Uh, so I'm going to stay positive. I feel the same way about the election. I unregistered to vote um, sometime in the past. So I don't know if I'll register again. Wait, but wait. You I had to fill out like a form America. to unregister? I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I did. Otherwise, I they vote They vote on your behalf? You have auto vote? Well, presumably, right? I, that's why are, that are was my Are you voting by, by text message? Is that how you're voting? <laughs> I um I just go out and shout, like oh, okay. um, like I I actually you know <clears throat> love Switzerland. I love to learn about Switzerland. In my opinion, the only actual democracy in the world, um, functioning democracy, and that's how they vote. They go in their little meeting house and just, just call it out in person. Yeah, the, the whole idea of democracy presupposes that the people in your demos are worth caring about their opinion. And it's like, if you have a high-functioning group of people, you know, that's called a board of directors, and it's fine to have a, a quorum of, of intelligent people having a, a, a rigorous, honest debate. But if it's full of idiots or, or deceptive and, and awful individuals or just lazy people who don't do any any homework on the topics you're gonna have a disaster and that's what this sort of general generalized everybody gets to vote in a country full of uh, a huge huge disparity frankly between uh, even like the middle and the bottom um that's that's where our problems i think come up and i think the reason switzerland doesn't have that is they have very tight immigration policies they have a relatively educated population and a small population and so the sort of scaling problems of having hundreds of millions of people making a decision on parts of the country that are truly far away from them but thousands of miles versus of a small country uh, where you can understand yeah. your issues pretty well and the differences and between the regions are small yeah it, it works better of it yeah, that it's it's a mountain fortress, mm -hmm. and the people who live there live there because they want to live there, and they fought for it, and they will continue to do so. God bless them. I hope they do continue to do that. But yeah, I don't. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know what else to say about that. <laughs> but uh, Argent Argentina, would you prefer it stay democratic, or would you like it to have a junta? Uh, I would like to give Millet a chance and see how he does. And if he does well, then I think that any president around the world should take a lesson from Putin and say, um, yeah, you can have a different president here from time to time, but I'm here and I'm staying here and I'm running this show until I die. And I, I think that's sort of a a way to weasel out of democracy that might might work for other countries well only time will tell absolutely la situación de argentina es crítica los cambios que nuestro país necesita son drásticos 
No hay lugar para gradualismo, no hay lugar para la tibieza, no hay lugar para medias tintas. El estado que tenemos hoy, si nos movemos hacia aquella pizarra, aquella... Ministerio de Turismo y Deporte, afuera. Ministerio de Cultura, afuera. Ministerio de Ambiente y Desarrollo Sostenible, afuera. Ministerio de las Mujeres y Género y Diversidad, afuera. Ministerio de Obras Públicas, afuera. Aunque te resistas. ¡Viva la libertad, carajo! de geopolítica es Estados Unidos e Israel. Esa es nuestra política internacional. Nosotros no nos vamos a alinear con comunistas.